Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Tri-Cities Church. You may be seated. Wow. I love that song because it reminds us that we are a people that are going into battle, but we are going into battle celebrating because the victory is already won. We're not going into battle wondering if the Lord will do it. He's already done it. And so we don't go with the kind of nervousness and anxiety and fear that one might go into battle, but we go into battle with the confidence, the joy, and the strength of the Lord all over us, knowing that our God has defeated the greatest enemy known to man. Amen? Well, I'm excited to be in this series. We've been in this series. This is the third week. Uh, We're calling it Suit Up. We're talking about the armor of God. We're looking at that passage in Ephesians chapter 6 where God says, put on the full armor of God. And take your stand against the devil. And he's not calling us, and this is the important thing that we saw last week in the message, is that he's not calling us uh, to be um, the strongest fighters in the world, right? Because he's already fought the battle for us, and he's won it. He's not calling us to develop the best strategy for defeating the enemy, uh, because he's already defeated the enemy. He's saying, simply put on the armor of God, and then he says, stand, right? Stand, stand, stand firm. He says it multiple times. He calls us to stand. In the book of James, it says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say, go after him, take up your sword, and slice him to pieces. It says, we stand firm, knowing that the battle's already won, that it belongs to the Lord. And so we go into battle uh, with this celebratory Uh, attitude, knowing that God has already won. Hey, well, if you're with us for the first time, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the opportunity to preach uh, most Sundays. Uh, I love opening the scriptures with you, and in this series, I particularly love opening the scriptures so we can see how the battle battle is won and how we can live into that from day to day. Uh, We'll be in this series for, I think, uh, four more weeks, three three or four more weeks, as we make our way through Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17, and we're going to see all the things that God has given us in order for us to live a victorious life. You know, there's times in this, in this world and in these lives that we live that things come unexpected. Um, there's sometimes uh, that hardship kind of comes up suddenly, and we didn't even see it coming. There's sometimes that we see it coming, and there's still nothing we can do about it. Um, there's times uh, that we wish that things were different in this world. That is normal. That's a normal course of life in a broken world. The Bible teaches us that God created this world, and he created it good and whole, perfect and right, that it had everything uh, that we needed. But because of uh, rebellion, human rebellion, sin, because of us going against the ways of God, this world is not what God created it to be. That is, that it will have pain, and there is an enemy of man who has been waging war against man from the beginning of time, but God came as a man, as Jesus Christ, uh, that he waged war against the greatest enemy known to man, the one that thought he could win, um, but he didn't, and Jesus died, and the enemy was having a celebration in hell, Um, but when Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus triumphed over him and convinced him that he could not win, and therefore we stand victorious because of what he's done. And so the Bible's teaching us, and this passage of Scripture is teaching us how we go through these li- this life living into the victory that is always, already ours in Jesus Christ, right? So it doesn't mean that we're going to go through it changing our situation or that the world's somehow going to be different or we're not going to have any pain or struggles, um, but the Scripture's showing us this is, this is how you live out the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. And so um, 
We're going to get into this. We're going to see the, thir- the second piece of armor that God has given us uh, this week. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our message for this morning. Um, God, we do give you thanks this morning that we get to gather in this place as your people. That we get to uh, gather in this place as the army of God. Not an army of God that's trying to figure out our strategy or trying to, um, trying to figure out the devil's schemes. But as the army of God that has the war book, the manual that teaches us the devil's schemes. That shows us that the enemy was a liar from the beginning. And that he's been using lies and deception and manipulation to convince the people of God that they aren't worthy to be God's people. To convince the people of God that no matter how powerful their God is, that they're still weak and not able to defend themselves against the enemy. But God, we're thankful that in this manual, in the war book, we read that if we resist the enemy, he'll flee from us. In this book, we read that if we put on the belt of truth, we'll be able to stand firm. In this book, we read that the battle's not ours, it belongs to the Lord, and that he's already victorious over our greatest enemy. And so, God, may we be encouraged this morning as we read these scriptures, knowing that you aren't, um, you aren't giving us an armor that may work. You're giving us an armor that has already worked. So that in this world, as we face hard times, we will live victorious lives. And we will make it to that, uh, we'll make it to that great and glorious day where we'll hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've run this race with perseverance. You fought this battle with integrity and confidence and boldness. And then you'll welcome us into your rest. God, oh, how we long for that day. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So if I were to ask you, um, what's the first thing that comes to your mind um, when you think about what it means? Maybe one word that comes to your mind when you think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What would you say? Like if I were were to ask you that, and I guess I am kind of asking you that. So maybe the question isn't if I were to ask you, I'm asking you, right? Just think to yourself, you don't have to shout it out or you can shout it out, right? What's the first word that comes to your mind when you think about what it means to follow Jesus? I imagine if we went around this room, we'd hear things like love, like, you know, that Jesus is love, that God has called us to love, that, that if we are followers of Jesus, then we're going to love people. Or maybe you think about grace. That's, that's a hallmark virtue um, or a value at Tri-Cities Church. Like, we're a community of grace. We're trying to model the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so maybe, maybe you think about the word, word grace or, or disciple or, or maybe you think about forgiveness. That's the hard part about being a follower of Jesus Christ is that God calls us to forgive even as he's forgiven. And that's a hard thing for us to do. Right? There's all these different words that we could come up with with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But I would imagine if we weren't in this series, right, if we weren't talking about Ephesians chapter 6 and we weren't in this passage talking about putting on the full armor of God and if we wouldn't have just sang a song that says, like, you know, put on the full armor of God and uh, shod your feet with the preparation of peace and take on the breastplate of righteousness and all this, these different things that are giving us this image of us going to battle against the enemy. Like, if we wouldn't have just sung that song, no one in here would probably say war. Right? They wouldn't have said that, you, you probably wouldn't have said that, that when you think about being a follower of Jesus Christ, you think about war. 
But this is the imagery that Paul paints for the church in the book of Ephesians. So Paul was a minister, a missionary. Uh, he started churches and he ministered to churches uh, in, the, in the early church, in the first century. And what he wrote to the church here is that be ready that you are actually, when you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you are actually going to war against the enemy. And so he says, arm yourselves, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy. And there's this kind of seriousness that this illustration uh, brings about in our minds that says this isn't something casual, right? We aren't a group of people who are gathered here in this space um, because we just like each other. And we're not a group of people who are gathered here in this space because we grew up that way just going to church and, and that's just what you're supposed to do. Or we're not a group of people that want to make just our community better and a more whole and good place for people. Uh, to live, and that's why we come to the church, because we can do good community service through the church. But the Bible teaches us that this is war, that the enemy has declared war against us, and that the whole of the Christian life is lived on a battlefield, that all of the Christian life is lived on the battlefield. There's not peacetime in this life, right? As long as we're living in this earth and on this world, that there's going to be war being made against us. And the Bible calls us to that kind of seriousness, that when we wake up in the morning, we realize that the enemy has a strategy. And in fact, the enemy has a new strategy for your day to try to cap capture you, to capture your attention, to capture your affections, and to get you to turn away from the will of God. And what we see in Ephesians, the Bible is saying, be ready for him. God's already won. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. God's already won. So put on the armor of God so as the devil takes his schemes against you and he plots against you, you will will be victorious. In fact, there's a scripture, and I think we saw this in the first week in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5. Listen to the way that this uh, verse describes the enemy. Uh, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, it says, be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Right, so it says, be alert. It's almost like, um, it, <laughs> I mean, it's like if I, if, if I were to, um, oh man, I'm, I'm getting images of, of um, of the walking dead and the kingdom. Uh, and, uh, you know, he has that lion in there, in that, that auditorium. Like, if I were to have a lion, like, just kind of jump out on this stage from, like, like I have my pet lion hidden back here, right? And it just jumped out on the stage, right? You, no, nobody would be falling asleep right now, right? Although there's a couple of you but right now, but, because there's no lion. But if, if there was, if, if I had my pet lion up here, even if he was chained, right, even if he was caged, no one would be falling asleep. Like, we would all be alert. We'd all be staying awake. We'd be slowly either. It depends on your philosophy, right? You'd either be slowly backing back to the door or you'd be playing dead, one of the two. Um, but, but none of us would be like, like, none of our eyes would be closed and we wouldn't be acting like the lion wasn't here. And the Bible's saying the same thing about the enemy, right? It's saying that there's an enemy. He's prowling around like a roaring lion. He's looking for who he can devour. So we are to be alert throughout the whole of the Christian life because it's lived on a battlefield, and the enemy will catch up to us. And so this, this verse is, is not, is, this isn't a scare tactic. This isn't a drill, right? This is kind of the real deal. This is God saying that you are going through this life, and this isn't a passage that's, that's written to get you or at least convince you in some manipulation way to be, on, to be on your best, right? To do your best every day and to follow God every day. It's not what it's about. I mean, the Bible is, is saying that this is, like, this is a real thing, right? And, and, and actually, in the Christian life, um, 
And actually, in the Christian life, we can get caught up in situations um, that cause us to doubt our faith. We can get caught up in situations that tug at our heart away from the Lord. We can get caught up in busyness that we don't make time for the Lord. We can get caught up in temptation that causes us to stumble and fall where we thought we would never stumble and fall. We can even find ourselves doing things. Um, we can even find ourselves doing things that disgust us, our, like it's disgusting to ourselves. Um, we can find ourselves in places and we're like, how did I get here? And this passage is saying you got there because the enemy is like a roaring lion. He's seeking who he can devour. He's going through this world, and he's trying to capture us. But the Bible says this, and this is the good news, I think, in this passage. The Bible says this, that God has given us his own armor. And that's the good news of this passage, is that God has given us his own armor. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, where we started in verse 10. Listen to what it says. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of darkness, of the um, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able, uh, so that when the day of evil so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. I love this passage, right? Put on the full armor of God. And, and there's a couple of things that are happening there. One is this word full, right? So it's not saying you wake up today and you say, well, what, what part of God's armor do I need? Right? You're not saying, do I need the belt of truth today? Do I need the breastplate of righteousness uh, today? Do I need the helmet of salvation? Do I need to live out peace my life peacefully, that I need to pursue peace. This passage isn't saying, like, um, like choose this day what, what piece of armor you need. It's, it's not saying that, but it's saying every single day, the enemy, you don't know his strategy. You're living your life on the battlefield of this world. Put on God's full armor. And it's not just any armor. This is God's armor. This isn't an imitation. This isn't a knockoff. This isn't the one the man on the corner is selling. This isn't, um, this isn't a generic brand, right? This isn't an imaginary armor. This is the actual armor of God that God wore in order to battle sin in this world. In fact, if you go back to this verse in Isaiah, and I love the way the Bible does this, because the book of Isaiah was written uh, about 700, a little bit more than 700 years uh, before Jesus and the birth of the church. But if you go back to the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 59, there's something that's written that's similar, but it's talking about God putting on an armor uh, that's just like the armor that we wear, and that's because it is the armor that we wear. And it's because God has given us his armor armor. If you look at Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 59, I'm going to pick up reading in in verse 14. Listen to what this says, and it begins with describing the world in this day and how hard things were in the day that Isaiah lived. Listen, just listen. It says, uh, so justice is driven back, right? So justice has been pushed back. There seems to be no justice in the world. Righteousness stands at a distance, right? It seems to be no righteousness among the people of God. Truth has stumbled in the streets, right? People aren't standing for streets for for truth. It's like truth has stumbled and it has fallen in the streets. 
Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. His own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. Right? So he says he put on his own armor, righteousness as his breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garment of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And so this is the armor of God. This is the armor that God himself wore when he waged war against the enemies of his people. So when there was no righteousness, when there was no justice, when there was no truth, he went to war through Jesus Christ, and Jesus was wearing the breastplate of righteousness. He was wearing the helmet of salvation. He was wearing the belt of truth. He was wearing this armor, and it's with this armor that he was victorious over the enemy. And so when we get in Ephesians chapter 6, and this is the most encouraging thing about this passage right here that makes me go, I want that. Like, like what was happening there, that's what I want. Like, what, what, what God's offering, I want it. Like, all of it, all of it. I don't just want the helmet because it looks cool, right? I want all of it. I don't just want the breastplate because, you know, I, but I want the whole thing, right? Because he says, put on the full armor of God, right? And that's, man. Right? On the one hand, it's just like you look at that armor and you're like, man, that's what Jesus wore. And you're going like, what an honor. Like, what an honor that God is giving us his armor. But then it's like, what confidence, right, that God's armor is ours, that we get to wear it, knowing that we get to win over the enemy. And so we get into this passage, and it says, put on the full armor of God. This, this week, we're at the second piece of the armor uh, in verse 14. Listen to what it says. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That's what we saw last week. And with the breastplate of righteousness in place. We saw the belt of truth being the word of God, the truth of God, the, the word of God as it's been revealed to human beings, that God has revealed to us what is true in this world, and we have that recorded for us in the scriptures. And so the Bible says, put that on uh, as, your, as your belt of truth and stand on that. Don't, don't change from what the scriptures teach us. Don't change from what the word of God teaches you. Uh, the world changes, but the Word of God never changes. It's always true for all times. And what God calls us to is always true. And the promises of God are always true. They never change. And so the Bible's saying you can stand on this, like put that on. It's the belt of truth. And then he says put on the breastplate of, of righteousness. Now the, the breastplate for a Roman soldier, the breastplate was it's probably, and, and throughout different, different ages, it, it kind of changed as their technology changed. But it was, it was probably during this time a leather shirt, a sleeveless leather shirt uh, that was somehow covered in metal. It could have been chain. It could have been kind of like planks of metal. Um, but it was this sleeveless leather shirt that, that allowed them, because they hadn't gotten the things that allow arms to be flexible. So you wouldn't want something that covered your whole arm because it would be just you go to war like this and you wouldn't be able to move. And so it was probably a sleeveless metal shirt in places, only covering places where you didn't have joints. Uh, and, uh, and, and it, but it covered all these vital organs in here, right? 
the lung, the heart, the kidneys, the spleen, the whatever else is in here, right? The liver, all these vital organs, which uh, you can't live without them. And they knew that. And so the breastplate of righteousness went all the way down to the torso. Uh, and it was heavy. It was, it was, and it was miserable. Like imagine wearing this leather and metal uh, shirt uh, in a, like a Georgia summer. <laughs> like imagine wearing that. I mean, you're talking about dehydration to the, I mean, I'm just, you see sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, like people, um, people wear those little sweatsuits to the gym, right? Those little sweatsuits to make you sweat. This was like the ultimate of sweatsuits. That metal's getting hot. You're accidentally touching the metal and you're getting burns on your arms as the sun is radiating on it. You really just want to take this thing off. In fact, for Roman soldiers on a day-to-day basis, they didn't wear the breastplate of righteousness because it was too much for them to bear. You would only put it on when you went to war because you didn't wear it on a day-to-day basis, but you wouldn't go to war without it because you knew just how vulnerable you were without it. And it was heavy and it was miserable, but you knew that you needed it. You knew that it was an essential component of what you wear when you go to war. And so the Bible is telling us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's saying, put on this essential component you need this when you go to war. But here's the thing. A couple of, um, a couple of um, uh, years ago, I bought a, um, I bought a backpack. So um, a backpack like this, I, I one for backpacking, for hiking, um, for getting out. I wanted to do some hiking on the Appalachian Trail. And uh, so, so I went out to, the, to REI. There's an outdoor store. Uh, up, there's one that's up, um, I guess that's up 75, 85. Um, and it's an outdoor store, and they have, like, all things outdoors, uh, and, and I hadn't bought a backpack, a hiking backpack at least. Um, I hadn't bought one. The last one I bought, I bought at Service Merchandise. So that tells you how long ago that was. And it looked like the old-fashioned kind with the exterior metal frames, and it wasn't lightweight, and it wasn't modern material. But that thing lasted for forever, I'm telling you. Uh, they just don't make stuff like they used to make. Um, but I went to REI to buy this backpack, and when I got there, I mean, I was overwhelmed by the number of features that the backpacks had. I mean, they have made these things like cars. I mean, you could get the Cadillac of backpacks. I definitely didn't get the Cadillac. I got kind of a mid-range one because I didn't want something to be falling apart. I mean, they had features like on the back. I don't know if you can see it from there, but it kind of has ventilation in the back where the backpack itself isn't sitting on your back. It has some mesh in there. It has some pockets that are going on on the side. It has easy access pockets at the top that you can just put your essential in. You can uh, open the front. You can put a few things in there. You can put your sleeping bag. I mean, you can fit more stuff than you would imagine in one of these backpacks. And so they had all these different features and all these different straps that help to pull it tight and, uh, and, and keep it close on your back so it's not weighing you back. Because when you're backpacking, if you're on the trail for a day or two or three or a week or a whole summer, uh, if you're on the trail for a long time, a backpack gets heavy real quick, right? If you're just wearing it to school or something like that, that's one thing. Um, you're getting on the bus and you're taking it off when you were a kid. But when you're putting this on and you're carrying all the things you need to live in a backpack, it can get heavy fairly quick. Um, And so I I was overwhelmed by all the features that these backpacks had. But the one thing was some had some backpack, some had some features and didn't have others. Um, But the the thing that all the backpacks had, I don't think I saw one that that was without a a belt. Or they all had one of these these belts around them. Now now I've always thought about these belts. Like I have a a small backpack that I wear when I ride my bike. Um, 
and, and the belt is helpful because it kind of keeps the backpack kind of stable and not moving. Um, but, but for backpacking, when you're out on the trail, one of the things these belts do is um, you're able to, to kind of loosen them up and then you're able to like buckle it and it, it kind of positions the weight on your hips. So like I can drop my shoulders. In fact, I could take my shoulders totally out and the, the weight is positioned on my, my hips. And so all the backpacks, as I went through, all of them had a, a belt because the belt helps to transfer the weight to your hips. It makes it easier to, to carry, especially when you're out there for a long time. You'll, get, you'll fall in love with your, your belt because you'll realize that you can't live without it. You see, the, the belt itself is, is ancient technology. Right? It's old technology because for the Roman soldier, they had this belt of truth which held up the breastplate of righteousness. Right? So it made the uh, righteousness uh, not sit fully or, or it, it made the breastplate not sit fully on the soldier's shoulders. But that belt was essential for them to be able to carry the breastplate into war. It's old technology. It goes back more than 2,000 years, but it's still used in every backpack. It's used in everything that we need to carry weight because it shifts that weight to the hips and makes it more bearable and easier to carry. And so what this scripture is showing us is that the breastplate of righteousness is held up by the belt of truth. So last week we saw the belt of truth, the word of God, God's teachings, what the Bible teaches in the Bible, uh, what God teaches us in the Bible, uh, and that we have to learn to depend and rely on that, to stand on that as truth for our lives. And it's as we stand on that that we can put on the breastplate of righteousness. And that the belt of truth alleviates the weight of that righteousness. Now, here's the key, though, and this is important for us to see, because God knows that righteousness is too heavy of a weight for us to carry. In fact, if you go to Romans, I think Romans chapter 3 is the, the best verse uh, in the Bible for understanding what God did when he called us to live righteous lives and what God has done to make it possible for us to live, actually live into the righteousness that is ours in Jesus Christ. If you look at Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 19, listen to what it says. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, right, God's law that teaches us what it means for us to live righteous lives. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced in the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So it says, God's given us his law that teaches us what it looks like for us to live a righteous life. But the whole world is made silent because we're all together realizing that righteousness is too heavy of a weight for us to carry. Right? We're just not able to carry it. That we find that no matter how we try, no matter what kind of bubbles we place ourselves in, no matter how much we exclude ourselves from society and try to wall ourselves off and do the right thing in every situation all the time, that we'll still find that in this world we are unable to live according to God's righteousness. God gave us uh, a law that taught us what righteousness looks like, but even as we read that, we find, and even as we try to live it out, we find that it's impossible for us to do. And the Bible says it only was given so that we could become conscious of sin. 
so that we could find out that trying to live according to God's righteousness and trying to bear the weight of righteousness alone um, just wasn't possible. It was too heavy of a weight for us to carry. But then look at what it says if you read a little bit further in Romans chapter 3. It says, but now and apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So when we look at the Old Testament where the law was given to the people of God and the people came to learn what it looked like to live righteous lives, that wasn't given so that we could say, okay, let me put that on and carry it myself, but rather the law and the prophets, the Old Testament was pointing forward to Jesus, God's righteousness, the one who became righteous for us. It says the righteousness is given is given. This righteousness is given. That's the grace of God, right? This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Therefore, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely, I like free stuff, (laughs) freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Right? And so this verse is saying God called us to live righteous lives, but he knew that we couldn't bear the weight of it, even no matter what kind of belts and strategies we came up with ourselves, right? That he knew that we can't bear the weight of righteousness. Our belts are inadequate. So he gives us the belt of truth, his word, which is adequate to hold up his own righteousness. And so the righteousness that we wear is not our own, it's God's. And so the Bible's saying, put on God's righteousness. So he's saying, I've clothed you, I've covered you with my breastplate of righteousness. I've covered you with my righteousness. So while on the one hand, there's this temptation to read the Bible and go, I uh, uh, get discouraged because we know that we're unable to live according to the righteous demands of God, we see that the belt of truth holds up the righteousness of God as we put it on. And therefore, from the time we first believe, right, that we are covered by God's righteousness. Now, that's a mystery and something that's hard for us to understand, but here's what we need to know, right? It doesn't matter how your spouse looks at you. It doesn't matter how your friends look at you who know your deepest and darkest secrets. It doesn't matter how your coworkers look at you and think about you. When God sees you, he sees you through the lens of faith as a person that's wearing his righteousness. He sees you as worthy and worthwhile for him to die for. He sees you as wearing the breastplate of righteousness from the time you first believe. And so God's not looking at you for all the things you've done wrong or the times you failed, but he sees righteousness and righteousness alone. And so the Bible's saying through what God has done through Jesus Christ, we are now righteous from the moment we first believe. And look at what it says if you read a little bit further down in that passage, Romans chapter 3. I'm, I'm going to pick up in verse 27. It says, where then is boasting. (laughs) It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. Um, Because once you have faith, righteousness is yours. It's not that you've attained it. It's not that the moment you first believed, you became perfect. It's not that the time you said, I accept Jesus into my life, you never did anything else wrong. 
It's not that when you came up out of the waters of baptism, you were really clean and never got dirty again, right? It's not that now that you joined the church and you became a part of the church and you're going every week and you're singing songs and you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you're doing these different things, that now you've somehow became righteous. But there is this righteousness that simply comes by faith in Jesus Christ and it's freely given through Jesus Christ. And so it says, you can't boast about it because you didn't achieve it, right? You didn't accomplish it. God accomplished it through Jesus and he gave it freely to you as a gift out of his grace, right? In verse 28, it says, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So before you lived right according to the law, Right? God justified you simply by faith, simply by belief. You've put on the righteousness of God that's held up by the belt of truth. And I believe this is why, because the book of Romans, especially when you read it, it has a sense of, of momentum. Like it gets deep down in the weeds, and you're going, wait, what? I need to read that over again. Um, but, but it kind of pops out at certain sections uh, in the book of Romans. It kind of pops out, and it's like things become crystal clear. I, I believe that this passage, what he's teaching us in Romans chapter 3, points all the way forward to Romans chapter 8 and what Paul there, says there. Because in Romans chapter 3, he's saying, you've put on the righteousness of God. He's declared you righteous when God God sees you. He sees nothing but righteousness because of uh, the faith that you've put in Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse uh, chapter 8, verse, um, verse 35, listen to what he says. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sore as it is written? For your sake, we all face, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But then listen to what it says in verse 27. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height or depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul writes that not because God's just doing us a solid in this moment, right? He's not saying, God's not saying I'm going to do you a favor, right? He's saying this because we have believed in faith and we actually have on the breastplate of righteousness, which is God's own armor, which is guaranteed to win. And so he's not saying nothing's going to separate you from the love of God because God's like, well, I'm just going to throw you one, right? I'm just going to, I'm going to help you out real fast. God's saying, no, you're wearing my armor. And so there's nothing that can separate you from me because the enemy will lose. The one who set out to separate you from me, he's going to lose. And here's the, here's the part of this that we can't miss um, because there's lots of joy, and man, it's a weight taken off of our shoulders when we think about God's righteousness being given to us, and God saying, apart from what you're able to do and what you've done, here it is, and I'll give you something to hold it up so that you can wear it all day long. But the hard thing is this, and the thing we can't miss is that God's righteousness produces in us actual lived righteousness. God's righteousness produces in us actual lived righteousness. In other words, we can't 
where God's righteousness without being in the process of becoming righteous. When we put on God's righteousness, we recognize that the enemy is making war against our souls. And we realize how much we need the righteousness of God. And not just that righteousness, but that we're being transformed into righteous people, that we're becoming the righteousness of God. We're not just putting on God's righteousness and saying, thank you, God, now I can give up and come over here and just sit and chill. We're saying, God, thank you for your righteousness. Now joyfully I will live into, as you give me strength, I will live into the person that you've created me to be. You see, the Bible shows us that believers, followers of Jesus Christ, have this assurance, this confidence, this rest now in this world, this this rest known that at the end of days, like when we get to heaven, we're not going to be judged on what we've done because God has already done it for us, right? So like if we were to accept Jesus today, die tomorrow, we're going straight into the presence of the Lord, not because we fixed it, figured it out, gotten all this stuff right but simply because we have on God's righteousness. But joyfully is that God gives us another day to live. We utilize that day in order to glorify God, to live into the righteousness that is ours in Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit gives us power. Because we realize that this world that is severely broken and turned upside down is being turned back right side up as we live into the righteousness of God. And we become the righteousness of God. I told y'all, uh, some of you know, some of you have seen pictures on Instagram and Facebook. I, a couple of years ago, I, I, uh, I dropped my gym membership and uh, I started doing these uh, backyard workouts. It was kind of an experiment in, in, in functional, functional fitness, right? This, actually not like being in the gym, taking a barbell and just, like that's just kind of like, like nobody does that in day to day. Like, I mean, I do that somewhat with like, drinking water. Um, but like, I never like lift anything like, 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 you just don't do that. Like you don't stand in a mirror and just do this all day. Like, I mean, it's not something you do. And so this idea of functional fitness is actually using movements that you would do in a day-to-day life. Uh, although the things I do, you might not do in a day-to-day life, but they give you the strength to be able to do like daily things. So like, like for some of us, like, like, um, like, like, uh, I'll use this as an example. Um, so, so y'all, y'all know we're foster parents, and we said so we have this little three-year-old boy that live, lives with us, uh, and, and the boy is solid. Like, he's chunky, right? And uh, you get to a point where it's like, man, if I wasn't, like, lifting weights or something, I might not be able to pick this boy up. He's heavy. And so what I did was several years ago, I went to, like, um, so I, I got this tire. So I got this one tire. Um, it's a tractor tire, like one of the big earth mover tires. Uh, I, like, I looked it up online. It's 800 pounds. Um, and, uh, and so I, 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 I was thinking I was going to flip this tire, but then I got it in my backyard and I realized I couldn't flip it. Uh, so it's just sitting there like it doesn't move. Uh, I kind of hit it with sledgehammers and stuff, uh, just trying to get, get fit and get strong. But then I got another tire that I can flip, right? And so I got a couple of tires. I got all this stuff in my backyard. I got some rocks in my backyard, just heavy stuff. Uh, because what I'm doing is I'm picking up heavy stuff and moving it as a way of trying to get fit instead of paying a gym membership. And so I told my wife, I said, how about this? The money that I, will, I would have spent on, um, on my gym membership, I'm just going to, like, when I see some stuff, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get it, right? I'm going to just spend that money on buying some stuff and throwing it in my backyard. Here's the thing that I've discovered. Like, through the winter, I'm good. But in the summertime, man, I feel like every time I pick something up, there's a spider, there's a snake, there are rats. 
I got all kinds of stuff. And I don't know if anybody else, like I'm trying to figure out if this is just like a me thing, like my yard kind of thing. But I don't know. I've never seen so many snakes in my life. I swear. I, I mean, every time, like I've learned, like when I'm picking up a rock or something, I get a stick and flip it first, right, to make sure there's no snakes under it. Um, because they're just all over the place. And so here's the thing, right? And whenever I pick these things up, there's something that will bite me. Black widows, like I got black widows in my yard. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose it out there, um, like lose my life. Um, but what I've learned is that like under these things is where um, the things that will bite you, the things that will hurt you, um, the things that just make you squirm, like they're living in these dark, damp places where it's cool and they're out away from the sun. And I, the Bible uses this word, this light and darkness metaphor, over and over again. And it's the same thing, right? It's saying like th- this idea, this attitude where we can step back and we can say, nobody will know what I'm doing because it's just not publicized, and, like, I'm not that famous that they're going to, like, be taking pit, like, paparazzi's not following me around. Like, nobody's going to know what's done in my bedroom when I log on to my computer, right? Or, or nobody's going to know uh, what I've done at work because I've gotten away from it, gotten away with it before, and I can get away with it again, right? This attitude that nobody will know so I can leave that hidden in darkness, or this attitude that says I'm just too weak, or maybe that was written for people in biblical times, but the Bible didn't know the temptations we face or the hardships we would face and the struggles we would go through, and so maybe that was written for them but not for me, right? There's that temptation in all of us to say either no one will know or I'm just too weak, and we leave deeds, we leave actions hidden in darkness, where they can live, multiply, because I swear these snakes are multiplying under all this stuff, multiply, and ultimately take over. And what the Bible is showing us is that if we're going to follow Jesus Christ in this world, like if we're going to live for Jesus, then we have to expose our lives fully to the light of Jesus Christ. We have to bring these things with us and open our lives up and say, God, this is my struggle. This is my hardship. These are the things that are hiding in my life that could ultimately harm me and bring me pain, right? These are the things that are hiding in my life that disappoint you, that you've declared to be evil and wrong and sinful, not because you don't want me having fun, but because you know that ultimately these things cause destruction in, these world, in this world. These are the things that we come into a community like this that's full of grace, committed to authenticity, and we are able to join a small group and enter into relationships with friends, and we're able to say, this is what I'm struggling with, and this is what I need you to pray for me with about. Because if we don't, these things continue to hide in the dark, damp, cool places of our lives where they multiply, they take over. When the Bible's saying that you've put on God's righteousness, you've become a part of the community of faith, you've believed in Jesus so that you can have actual lived righteousness in your life. So like that becomes a real thing so that we can progress towards holiness, so that we can take next steps every day. 
so that we can become more like Jesus in our actual lives. You see, in this verse, in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says in verse 14, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. On the one hand, we know that that's God's righteousness. And we find that kind of relief that God's righteousness is ours. But on the other hand, we realize that that produces in us lived righteousness, which is hard work. And we feel the weight of that every day. And we work and we labor and we struggle. As this verse says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Right? We struggle, we wrestle against the enemy that wants to keep us where we are and does not want us progressing towards holiness. And so we don't put on God's righteousness and sit on the sofa, but we put on God's righteousness and we work and labor towards actually becoming righteous in this life, knowing, as the Bible says, that our labor in the Lord is not in vain, that the work we do for the Lord is not in vain. There's a day that we'll meet him and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome into my rest. Oh, how I long for that day. You know, every Sunday we have a time of communion. Uh, and these, so these four tables around the room are about... And when I look at these tables this morning... I'm thinking about the life of Jesus and how Jesus came from heaven to earth. And there's a song that says he came from heaven to earth to show us the way. Um, But he came from heaven to earth with the armor of God on. And he wrestled and struggled against principalities and powers. He fought the enemy of man and woman. It was a real fight. In fact, the Bible tells us that those moments before the cross, that he was there with his closest friends, and he was begging them. Like, this is the God of creation, begging creation to pray for him because he was wrestling against the principalities and powers of this dark world. Let that sink in for a moment. He wasn't simply showing us the way. He was fighting the enemy on our behalf. Imagine the party when they took his limp body down off the cross, showing it no respect and dragging it to a tomb. 
Imagine the party that the enemies of God were having when that heavy stone was rolled over the opening of the tomb and it was sealed shut and the guards stood watch. Imagine this ongoing three-day party that was happening by the enemies of God as each new day with the rising of the sun, they knew that the Son of God had been defeated. Now imagine the party that happened in heaven and the celebration that we get to have every single day knowing that a day came when the stone rolled away. A day came when Jesus got up from the grave and he walks out the grave with all victory in his hand. And he doesn't say victory is mine. He says victory is mine and yours. And we get to come to these four tables and we get to celebrate not victory is his, but victory is ours. That's the good news of the gospel. And so as we come to these tables, we're going to sing that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the only one that is able to accomplish God's will and plan for our life. We're going to sing it with joy and in celebration, knowing that victory is ours. God has defeated our enemy. We get to wear his righteousness with joy and confidence. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that we get to gather in this space. We get to gather and celebrate. We get to gather and have a party because of what you've done. God, yeah, we remember. We remember the pain of the cross. We remember the misery of feeling like you are forgotten there, abandoned there. We remember the only support you had was your own muscle and ligaments, tendons that were holding you to the cross. And God, as we remember that, we do so with these incredibly thankful hearts, knowing that you took our place there and you have given us your righteousness and the victory. God, we come to these tables celebrating what you've done with great joy in our hearts. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.